Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School, so listen, learn, enjoy and share. Professor Lynn Saunders, OBE, is a PhD criminologist who worked in the British criminal justice system for 35 years. Over two decades, she served as governor of four different prisons, including Lincoln Prison and Morton Hall Women's Prison. For almost 13 years, she was governor of HMP Wadden, one of Europe's largest prisons for people with sexual convictions. Professor Lynn Saunders, welcome to this episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you. It's really great to be with you. Thank you. So you started your career as a, as a social worker. You went on to train as a probation officer, became a prison governor. And for most of the time, you worked with um, people with sexual convictions. What particular challenges did that pose? Well, I think it was really interesting for me because I, I worked as a social worker with people with sexual convictions. And uh, in those days, which was obviously some years ago, um, not very much was known about this group of people. And there were all sorts of prejudicial ideas and thoughts about it and um, I think going through the the whole process that you've just mentioned from being a practitioner, frontline practitioner, to being a manager um, who is responsibility for safeguarding and safety of people um, of community and also with people with sexual convictions was an interesting journey for me because some of the things that um, I encountered as a practitioner, uh, frontline practitioner, um, were still in evidence when when I became a, um, a senior manager. And uh, that kind of whole transition, I thought, was was fascinating, really, to see and reflecting back on it and using the information that I'd learned as a practitioner, um, as, a, as a senior manager and senior leader, uh, I think was invaluable and uh, understanding uh, what works and what doesn't work I think was critical for me uh, throughout that process. Um, So I think leadership challenges, um, I think the big thing was understanding the challenges uh, of the system for people with sexual convictions and also looking to how to mitigate those um, in the best way you can And, and I think one of the benefits of being a prison governor historically if not now was that um, you had a lot of flexibility and leeway to change things at least on the um on on the sort of minor macro level really um to to for the better for people um and i think that's changed a lot more recently but certainly when i first started as prison governor you did have the opportunity to provide genuine leadership and change things for the better for people and i think that's kind of one of the um one of the best things about the job for me was that actually you really could make a difference and i think when I started all those years ago um, as a social worker and then a probation officer, I had this, sounds very naive for me to say this right now, but um, I had this desire to change the world uh, for the better, hopefully. Do you think that's, um, a, do you think that's a, a, a common thing? Do you think leaders always start that way? They want to change the world, whatever you're doing, you want to go and make a mark? I hope so, because that's kind of to me what it ought to be about. You want to make things better, whatever your thing is. You want to make those those things better. And I think for me, I could quite clearly see a massive problem, a deficit of uh, 
uh, you know, of both in support for people, but also um, actually uh, public protection at the time was was very underdeveloped. Um, and uh, I think being at the forefront of that at the beginning was was really quite helpful for me. And and also, so you can, you, I think because you've done that, you could see what needs to happen. Um, and as I said, uh, over time, I think have. I have been able to fortunately be in a position to influence and change things, which I think has been really useful. Okay, so you um, got your first big leadership role around 20 years ago at, at the women's prison. Um, you were governor of, of, of Morton Hall. So what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? Yeah, it's really interesting. I've only ever worked with women offenders uh, for two years, and that was when I was governor of Morton Hall. The rest of my um, career I've worked with um, adult men um, and um, I think uh, um, people said to me when I went to work at Morton Hall um, god how can you do that how can you work how can you work with women I thought well this is very odd what do they mean you know I'm a woman I work with people who are women all the time it's very odd what on earth do they mean and the challenges were very different working with women um, the self-harm levels were very high mental health problems were very high and um I knew a lot about that side of life anyway because of previous history as social worker and, and probation officer. Um, I think I, I think I would what I learned as Governor of Morton Hall, I, I re-rolled it from a men's prison to a women's prison, changed the category that the category of the prison changed from a, um, a what's called a semi-open prison, which was very bizarre because what does that mean, um, to a closed prison. Um, and um, I think what I learned is you can't do it all yourself. I mean, I, I'm, I've always been a you know very conscientious person and a very hard. I think most people say a hardworking person, but I think the the biggest thing for me was uh, you can work, you know, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, but you can't do everything yourself if you're really going to change things. Um, you've got to uh, empower and encourage other people, and uh, get a decent team on side, and together you will change the world. But on your own, it's unlikely you will do. Okay, so you said in the middle of that um, you hardworking, conscientious, but you also got a big national reputation for being one of Britain's most compassionate prison governors. Why is compassion a good leadership quality? I think you've got to empathise with people. I think one of the, for me, in terms of um, understanding people, having some emotional intelligence, some insight into why people do the things they do i think is is critical and not being critical of that i think is crucial uh, for me it's been non-judgmental um as i said i think when we were speaking before we started the recording of this some of the people i've come across have done some absolutely horrendous things and that's not to say i um you know obviously i don't uh, i don't endorse anything uh, that people have done in terms of law breaking or indeed harm to other people but on the other hand, you look at the background of some people and uh, how they got there. I think you have to understand that, you know, I often think, well, if that could be me, I mean, I could have done that in those. But if I'd have had that kind of background and that kind of level of abuse or um, or, or neglect as a child or, or whatever the circumstances are, that could clearly have been me or indeed any of my friends or so on. So I think to not to be judgmental, to be compassionate is really critical if you are going to work in this kind of world in a in a in an effective way because people, uh, especially in, in criminal justice settings, um, 
people watch people a lot um, because that's the nature of it and certainly in prisons they have a lot of time to watch people because obviously you're locked up and there's not much else to do and if you're not genuine and an authentic leader they'll know pretty sharp you'll know they'll know pretty sharpish that you're not you've got to be you've got to be real you've got to be authentic you've got to be yourself I, I never thought about that but but because of as you say you've got you're, you're leading effectively 800 people who have a limited amount to do every day except yeah. sit and watch that must be quite um that must be quite intimidating at times well you are you are on show you, you it's a it's a it's a theater a prison's a theater you you are on show people play roles in prisons and um i think it's quite interesting that um uh, I, I have to t- say i could i consciously have never done that um obviously there's sometimes you've got to play the play the the person in charge and you do the presentations and you you know you've been the the person in charge but in terms of interaction with individual prisoners or staff i can't stress enough for people listening to this you need to be yourself you need to you know because people will always um if if they've got anything about them um, and as i say the people i'm talking about are people watchers or not uh, observers of people um, and they will know whether you're genuine or not um, okay. and they will suss you out and I have to say uh, with staff as well staff stuff you stuff you uh, mm-hmm. um, suss you out and they'll know whether you're sincere and genuine or and, and really care or not and they'll they'll know that okay so what um so what's the biggest challenge you faced what is the biggest individual challenge at any point in your in that career um so I said I had a conversation with a, a former colleague of mine and uh, I said, you know, how long I've been doing this? And uh, he said, God, you've survived this long. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I think to some extent, uh, the biggest challenge is is sticking with your principles and sticking with your values in despite significant um, challenges from the organisation at times. I think some of the things that um that you need to keep you, you keeping your values, even though uh, the there's actual opposition to that. The sort of um, the phrase that you used to they used to use in prisons was the moral compass, and mm-hmm. um, I don't really like it very much because I associate it with all sorts of negative things, ironically. But mm-hmm. but um, that's right. You keeping keeping your values and your belief systems, and that's the big. I think honestly, that's the biggest challenge because the for me the job has always been. Uh, something that's worthwhile and important to do so that's never been never been the challenge but the sort of sometimes when your own personal values and beliefs are in um, opposition to the organization's values that's really difficult to to keep going at that time and so how do you handle it how do you maintain your own integrity while at the same time you know fulfilling your role as a leader for that organization well, you've obviously sometimes got to stand up and be counted, and if you feel that something's not appropriate to do, just say I'm not can't I can't do that. That's not going to happen. I think you've sometimes got to do that. Uh, for the most part, you might say things like, "Well, look, you know, um, I know there's people who might have concerns about this, but this is this is the direction of travel we're going in, and this is what what we need to do." And you've got to sometimes, you know, play the corporate line with things and and deliver. But on the other hand, as I say, I think you've you've got to have a line to say that I'm I'm not. There's some things I will not do, and I won't do that. Uh, and I think you need to know what that is very clearly in your head. Okay. Before you start, or is that something which emerges as your as your leadership goes uh, follows its path? I 
I think it changes. I think things change. I think sometimes uh, and like or everything changes. You change as a person. The organisations change. I think sometimes things run, you know, in, you know, in parallel with each other, and that's fine. Sometimes, if one or either yourself or the organisation veers off, then I think, as I say, you have to just make some decisions about whether whether it's consistent with your your belief systems and your values. Okay. So, but on the flip side, what's the what's the most enjoyable moment of your leadership career? Anything particularly satisfying? I, I think, you know, ironically, it, the setting up the charity that I founded in 2014 was probably one of the most, um, It was I have to say I did it because um, initially because I could see a gap in the market, as it were, and needed to, felt I needed to do something. So I did it really This is, this is the Safer Living Foundation. It is, yeah. Which is, yeah, a, which I mean, is a charity you set up to, to help prevent sexual offending, and you're now the chairman of that charity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so we... There's a group of us from um, from NTU, the police, from uh, probation, and um, a couple of people from the community. Um, were we started in 2013 actually, um, and became a registered charity in 2014. And the only reason really we became a charity was because that was the only way we could get anybody to give us any money if we were an official registered charity. Because I think we would have just potted on doing what we were doing, but I think we saw. I, uh, I saw just from chats talking to prisoners around the prison, a big gap in uh, in the transition from prison to the community, and felt that we needed to do something about, or I needed to do something about that. So kind of I pulled the people I knew. Um, some people were working in the prison, obviously I knew people in the police and probation, and pulled it together to to set up uh, the charity. And initially we started very small on uh, working with a, a project called Circles of Support and Accountability. Um, I, and I'd been to a conference in Leeds when they were talking about a 10 year celebration of this Circles of Support and Accountability. And um, one of the things in this research this guy had done was one of the big gaps that uh, people failed who were leaving prison with a sexual conviction was in the first three months when they left prison. And that's before the circle as it was started. And I did thought, I just thought, well, why don't you start it in prison then? You know, it's just not rocket science. You know, why on earth yeah. don't you start before somebody leaves? So that's what we did. We did the first ever prison-based circles project, which started three months before people left prison um, and carried on, obviously. Um, so that was really exciting. I felt the fact that we got it off the ground, the fact that um, we raised the money for it, that we got people on board, that we, um, it, we had good fun. It was... Um, hard work but it was good fun we really enjoyed it and then it's it further and further it's interesting you say that you know so you that you put that last line in there about having good fun because the question i was going to ask you know you have this like a lot of leaders you have very very stressful day jobs but i talk to leaders all the time and they always sorry not always they frequently end up doing things like this outside in their own time doing something where you could say um, crudely just giving something back but obviously it's a lot more than that i mean you're taking on added responsibility why do we do, why do leaders do that um i think i just think i do think it's a you know branching out doing sort of stuff i mean i think you there's the, the old adage isn't it if you you want something done you ask a busy person to do it and uh, i think that's it i think it's just what I, I go back to the point of all that day, all those years ago when I started wanting to make a difference change things for the better do the right thing all of those things really and because I could see a gap I got the wherewithal and the ability to do something about it so why wouldn't you do something about it 
Um, and then the charity's grown. Um, and um, yeah, so we've got five projects now and do some amazing things and it's evolving and changing and and it, it's just it's just really exciting. People are very motivated. I think people in the voluntary sector often have different motivation to people in the statutory sector. And again, that's very, very invigorating and very um, empowering. I think when you've got people who are enthusiastic about something, that's very infectious. Um, yeah, I, I just just I'm really, really proud of that. And the fact that it's still going after, you know, uh, eight years um, is you know amazing, I think. Um, yeah, it's good. Another thing which you did consistently uh, throughout your time as, as prison governor was was continue studying degrees, yeah. masters, yeah. PhD. And, and I read somewhere you once said you, you felt a big need to, to bridge the gap between the lurk, workplace and academia. How important is it for leaders to be constantly learning? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, you see, often see that in, in adverts for jobs and so on, that, you know, the evidence of conti continuous improvement or continuous uh, educational development or whatever. I mean, I think it's vital. I mean, to think that you ever know enough about something is, is a very complacent and dangerous in my view um you always should have the capacity to learn i mean i'm getting on a bit now but to be honest I, i'm still learning stuff i'm and i'm proud of the fact i'm still learning stuff and even though it's quite hard sometimes because you know things don't happen quite in the same way mentally as they used to and, and certainly my memory is not as good as it used to be and the fact that you know i i'm still learning even though sometimes it's really hard to learn i think is really good because how do you how do you keep fresh? How do you keep energised? How do you um, keep interested in life if you're not learning stuff? I know that sounds like a cliche, but mm. it really is really important, I think, to to kind of look at the every day as a new challenge to learn something. I think. Okay, and so you, and, and over your 30, 35 year career in leadership, you've been constantly learning. Over that period, how have things changed in terms of leadership? Well, I think if you read the books, probably not much. I mean, some of the leadership books is just sometimes rehash bits of things that were written years ago, I think. Um, I think sometimes uh, for me about leadership is certainly leading from the front is always something I felt is really important that you you set an example, you behave and speak in a way that you expect other people to, uh, because I think the setting example and uh, leading from the front, as I say, is critical. I think doing the difficult and unpleasant jobs is also really important because in terms of your credibility, um, you can't expect, I always say to people, I can't expect you to do something not very nice or um, or difficult if I'm not prepared to do that myself, obviously within my capabilities, because if I'm not capable of doing that, that's a different matter. For example, I mean, it's not everybody's idea of fun to go to work on Christmas Day, but staff in the prison have to go to work on Christmas Day. <laughs> right. So I, so I always went to work on Christmas so Day. So wait a minute, so, so, you all, so how many Christmas days did you work? Uh, I worked every, for the last 20 years, I've worked every Christmas Day, apart from the one that I've left just, I hadn't or didn't work last Christmas Day, but the previous wow. 20 years, I worked every Christmas Day. Goodness, uh, and, and understanding family, important for a leader? Um, yeah, you kind of, you kind of, when your kids are small, that's difficult, obviously, because they have different expectations. But I think you find ways around. You have, you have Christmas Day on a different day, so it's more special. You know, you make right. more of a fuss, so that you, right. you know, you can have 
on Christmas Day. And actually, it can be, they say now, because they're adults now, my children are adults now, and they'll say, yeah, we used to have three or four Christmases because you just, you know, you did things. It was, it was a, uh, <laughs> um, uh, what, what do you call it? Accentuate the positives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah they, they actually thought, you know, I, I think I think they kind of quite, because I did see them both on Christmas Day and their families um, this year, this Christmas gone, because that was the first day I hadn't worked. Um, but I did think they probably saw it as a as a bit of a bonus because they got you know things spread out over a longer period <laughs> when they were little. So yeah. you know, so it was, yeah. and we and obviously try and make things more fun. Yeah. So you, you just you just talked about something else there. You've, you've you've recently started this new career as a full time academic. Um, you're now yeah. head of the School of Law and Sciences at the University of Derby. As an an experienced leader, what 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 are the things that you can tell your students that they won't find written in in textbooks? Um, well, there's quite a lot written in textbooks, and I've not read all of the textbooks, so I should imagine anything I'd say is probably somebody's written it down. But I think um, I think I would say do something you enjoy, uh, because it, life, life and working life is hard if you don't enjoy your job. That's what I would say is the most thing. And if you're lucky enough to find something you enjoy, then leadership will come pretty naturally, in my experience. Right. Leadership comes naturally. Did you did you always know you'd be in charge? Did you always know you'd be the leader, whatever you did? Oh yeah. <laughs> and so does that mean <laughs> does, such candor? Does that does yeah. that um, does that mean that you were uh, prepared for it in advance? No, I, I think I was always the sort of kid. I was always like um, you know in charge of stuff as a kid. You know, even when I was at school. You know, like. Football, in foot, no, I didn't play football, um, hockey team, netball, um, you know, always like doing stuff, uh, always in the charge, sort of leadership. They say you're only a leader if people follow you, don't they? That's what they say. And uh, people always did. And I'm not quite ever sure why they did. But, yeah, I was always and it was never a surprise to anybody. I think when I got this kind of role, when you're in charge of stuff, I don't think anybody was surprised at all because it was just just always that way. If a young person would would come to you and say, look, you know, I'm looking towards this career, but I'm hoping to get a leadership role, perhaps in criminal justice or elsewhere. I think some of the things I've said before, really, in this is just you certainly need to work hard. Um, you need to be prepared to do stuff, um, to do jobs that you perhaps don't want to do and don't particularly enjoy doing because you need to build up your knowledge base, you need to build up your credibility with other people. And also you need to show that you uh, you mean what you say. And, and, and when you ask people to do stuff, when you say, look, I know I've done that, uh, you've got total credibility. I know it's not great, but you've still got to do it. And I think that's that's really important to be able to get your hands dirty, if you like. Don't expect to be the boss to, on day one. Get your hands dirty and actually learn whatever it is your trade is so that you're able to speak with authority about about what it is you're asking people to do. Um, and I think, as I said before, I think you've got to also be authentic because I think people, and some of the, and I'm not at all um, intending to um, dismiss any of the people I've come across in my new role, uh, but sometimes I just think they're not authentic. And I just think, you know, that's, not very not very uh, credible for the longer term for people if you if you just say the right things rather than look like you mean it and uh, I think that's what I say be credible be um, be truthful and credible about about things I think yeah okay that's fantastic 
Professor Lynn Saunders. Thank you very much for being our guest here on the Business Leaders Podcast. Delighted. Thanks to nice to talk to you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with radio programmer Dick Stone, the banker Dr Heather Melville, and the recent recipient of an MBE, the chief executive of Nottingham Playhouse, Stephanie Sir. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.